Well, uh, as you know, we've been studying in the Gospel of John, uh, and as each week, try to mention the, the uh, intro. I know you're probably tired of hearing it, but I don't want to stop saying it. And there's always somebody new, either here in class or online, that hasn't been in class. So we want to talk about what John is all about. Of course, the Gospel of John is about the life of Jesus. And we can read a lot about the events, about the things that Jesus said, from the Apostle John. It's wonderful things, right? Uh, John is a very unique gospel, a little bit different from the other three. We call the other three the synoptics because they are similar in events and style, but John's very different. And we also know why John was written. And as we do each week, let's turn over to John chapter 20 and read that again. John chapter 20, verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. <clears throat> so there we have it. We know why John was written. John laid down some of the events that Jesus did. Not all of them. Apparently there were a lot more. And I can't imagine what else he might have done that we don't know about. But John inscribed uh, what we need to hear so that we may know who Jesus was and have life in his name. What a wonderful, what a wonderful statement, wonderful promise we have that we can have life in his name, not only in the future, in eternity, in heaven, but here on earth in the kingdom as we live today. Last week we talked about uh, a little phrase, the proof is in the pudding, right? If you were here last week, we talked about how Jesus had a dialogue with the Jews uh, about how they would know his doctrine was from the Father simply by being willing to do his will, willing to obey the doctrine, willing to do whatever the Father asked of him, just as he had done. Not seeking their own glory, but seeking the glory of the one who sent him, the one who sent Jesus to be the Savior, the one who sent Jesus to be the minister, to be our teacher, our Lord. And we talked about how we must be willing to do that will. We must be willing to obey his doctrine and <clears throat> that way we do when we do that we'll know that his doctrine is from god and we can have peace and assurance from that simply by walking in the light now it sounds kind of odd well, well, what do you mean how can you know it's from god just because you're doing it well there's something remember there's something in us that we need to know. We need to know our God. We need to know our Creator. We're born with that. There's something inside us. There's a hole there, right, that has to be filled one way or another. A lot of people try to fill that with earthly things, right, worldly things. You know, I don't know. Staying busy at work, uh, turning to drugs, whatever it is. There's something that causes us to look and search. But the only way we can truly be filled is through life in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And God knows that. He sent his son that we might know him and we might have that abundant life. And through that, we can have that peace and assurance. Well, Jesus was beginning his ministry here. He's talking, well, he's in his ministry, not beginning it. And he's talking with the Jews. He's performing miracles. He has some disciples that are following him around. And the Jews are hearing and seeing these things and they're starting to get a little bit indignant about it, right? Turn over to John chapter 7. Let's, let's just read about that. John chapter 7, we'll 
pick up where we kind of left off last week and start in verse 19, John chapter 7. <clears throat> Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. So why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, you have a demon. Who, who is seeking to kill you? Well, Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. And then if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance. Judge with righteous judgment. I can just imagine him saying it like that, right? 20, verse 25, now, now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he's from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me, is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? And the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. And Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. And then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said? You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. So here we have the uh, interaction between Jesus and he's speaking to the Jews and his followers. And they're trying to figure out what in the world he's doing. What's he talking about? Who is this guy, you know? And he's simply saying, if you knew the Father, you would know me. Because I do the will of the one who sent me. And so they're trying to figure this out. And there are those, even though they're claiming they're not, who want to kill him. I want to kill him because of what he's saying, right? Because of his ministry. Isn't it interesting in the world when you start speaking the truth? It bothers people. You ever notice that? It bothers people. Yeah. Well, today we're going to get into a few more verses here for our text for today. And we're going to see uh, some interesting statements. We've actually read this before. I love these verses. I, they're so um, comforting to me, so uplifting uh, and I go to them every once in a while just to say, I need to be refreshed. So let's read on. Verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, well, what are we talking about here? 
Well, during the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a custom, a tradition that the Jews held. Uh, daily during that feast, the priests would go to the Pool of Siloam, and people would joyfully meet them there, and they would draw water into a golden pitcher, and then take this pitcher back to the temple and pour it out over the altar, the altar of, uh, the, uh, the altar of burnt offering. And then they would sing uh, the verse from Isaiah 12, verse 3, singing, Therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This was something they did each time they had the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days. And I've read, I'm not sure it's exactly right, that on the seventh they would go, uh, uh, go around seven times, I guess, on the, on the altar or whatever, just like they did at Jericho, remembering Jericho and the, fall, and the filling of the walls on the last day. Anyways, on such occasion, Jesus used the opportunity to extend this wonderful promise that he does here. Inviting those who thirst to come to him and drink. And remember, we've already read a lot of scripture about him being the bread. He talked to the woman at the well about having living water, right? And here he is again, talking about living water, refreshing, sustenance. You know, the idea that he is life. Coming to him and you will have life. You will have joy. You will have what you need to live. And it's interesting how he uses these words that we can understand, that we can see, right? And then the Apostle John goes on to explain, however, that what he's talking about here is the Spirit. The Spirit whom those who believe would receive, as we read here. The Spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. All right, well, what else can we find, figure out from these scriptures? Well, what does it mean to be giving the Spirit? What's that mean that Jesus had not yet been glorified? Turn over to Isaiah, and let's read a passage there. Remember, Isaiah is the prophet. He's the great messianic prophet. Has a lot of verses around what's going to happen in the future. And we see that in the Gospels and in Acts. Chapter 44 of Isaiah. Let's start with verse 1. You... Yet hear me now, Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord, who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty. Interesting. And floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Here we have a verse not necessarily referring to exactly what Jesus says, but it's a reference to the Spirit, right? It's a reference to the Spirit being uh, that living water that you're going to drink from, that you're going to have to help you. And then turn over to Ezekiel. I want to read another passage. This is a fascinating passage. Ezekiel chapter 47. And let's read what the prophet Ezekiel had to say about Israel and water and things like that. 47. <clears throat> 47 beginning verse 1. I want to read 12 verses, so it's a little long, but let's read through and just see what it has to say. Ezekiel 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from, uh, from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and, let me, and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east, and there, there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits. And he brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my knees. And again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the water and came up to my waist. 
Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. When I returned there, along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. And then he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Englam, and they will be places for spreading their net. Their fish will be, the same kind, be of the same kind as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. Along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month, because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for medicine. Now here we have a vision that Ezekiel's seeing. He's describing it. Temple. He's at the temple. Water is flowing out from all, under the, all around the temple going to the sea, filling up the regions that it, as it goes. But he also mentions the areas that it does not touch, are not blessed by that, are not refreshed like they are along the rivers up the bank of the river. It's a very interesting passage, very interesting vision of what we might see with the Spirit, what we might see with that living water, that refreshing water. What does that mean? Well, apparently this promise of the Spirit given to those who believe makes one a blessing to others. This passage tells us that as the water goes forth, those around that it goes through or touches are blessed. Hmm. What does that mean? Well, we just read, out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Interesting. So, if I'm a Christian, I'm going to have rivers of living water flowing out of me. Well, that water's got to go somewhere, right? It can't just stay within me, right? It's flowing out. So that's an image that we are a blessing, not only to us, not only are we blessed through what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us, but we're a blessing to others because of our lives. When a man turns to the Lord, he shall be as a fountain filled with living water. In other words, Christians will diffuse large and liberal and constant blessings on our fellow man. Wow, that, that's some pretty interesting thoughts, right? That's a pretty neat vision. We have this promise that we will have refreshing, abundant life, but through us, somehow, we bless others. Well, how does that work? Well, of course, the promise is offered to believers. It's not to those who have not yet believed, which is why I do not believe this refers to something, as, as Brother Copeland says in your outline, uh, it's simply a ministry of the Spirit through the Word. Now, over the years, there have been those, and perhaps you were part of it, that said the way the Spirit lives within us is through the Word, right? It's simply through the Word. And of course, we don't have the miraculous gifts of the Spirit like they did in the first century anymore. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean we don't have the providence of God within us, right? His workings. And you may have heard that it's simply the Word, but I don't believe that it's just that. I believe this is something different. This is something 
that was to come. This is something that had not occurred yet in Jesus' time, or up until his time. Turn over to John 16, let's read a few verses around that. John 16, beginning of verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So Jesus had to go away before this Helper was going to come. Interesting. So he's talking about something that had not come yet, had not been here yet, had not been enjoyed by anyone yet. Christ is speaking of something that is peculiar to his reign. Remember, when he leaves, where did he go? He descended into heaven, sat down on the right hand of God, and began to reign in the kingdom of heaven. The church here on earth is how we know the kingdom of heaven, right? We've talked about that many times. This is a promise that's extended to all believers, not just a few. We have that promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not just to those who were just a strict set of disciples or apostles. Not those with just special tasks or prophets. It's extended to all of us. And therefore, I would believe it does not refer to the miraculous manifestations of the Spirit, right? It's not the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. For most all Christians would have to have that, and they did not. We read that in the first century. We talked about how... The apostles even had to go into Samaria to lay hands on some of the new believers so that they could have some of these spiritual gifts, miraculous spiritual gifts. And we talked about uh, several times about how that has gone away now that we have the canon of the Scripture, now that we have the complete, the perfect. So this promise of the Spirit uh, had not been given. It had not been given yet. We've read several passages that talk about that. Uh, the Yet we can prove that their miraculous manifestations of the Spirit had been experienced prior to this. Look over at Luke chapter 1. And we'll just read about that. This is before Jesus had ascended to heaven. Luke 1, uh, uh, verse, 40, uh, verse 41. Actually, let's start with 39. And Mary rose in the days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe lived in her room, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then turn over to verse 67. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. See, here we have a manifestation of the Spirit providing what we would say is, is a miracle. Allowing Zacharias to prophesy, allowing Elizabeth to see, you know, the, the child in her womb. So we have some manifestations of that before this happens. So that's why I would say this is not necessarily referring to the miraculous manifestations of the Spirit. I do believe that the Spirit had miraculous gifts, and we read about that particularly in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. But this was a promise given after Jesus was to be glorified. After his resurrection and ascension, into heaven. And of course, we have the first and second chapters of Acts to describe this. And those are really the best comment on it. There's a really where we can see what he's talking about because the apostles received that gift on the day of Pentecost and were able to begin to speak in tongues and do other things. So that's 
wanted, wanted to talk about that. Also, from other texts, we can conclude that this is referring to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 38 and 39, right? What do we read? Peter, Peter says to them, you need to repent and be baptized. Everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 5 and 32 talks about the, that gift had been given to all who obey. Of course, I've already mentioned 1 Corinthians 12. We are in by, by all who ask are baptized. Um, I think turn over to Galatians chapter 4. Let's just read a couple of verses there. Galatians 4, verse 6. And because you were sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Here we have Paul telling the Galatians, they have the Spirit and they are children of God. They have that gift of the Holy Spirit. So, I believe that the gift is simply saying that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. First uh, Corinthians 6, we talk about, uh, Paul talks about the body being the temple of the Spirit, or the heart. And then Romans 8, verses 9 and 10, and let's turn over there. I want to read that. And then you can keep your finger in Romans 8, because we'll have some other verses there. And by the way, if you want a passage of Scripture to read every day, Romans 8's a pretty good one. Melissa, Romans 8, Verses, uh, let's start at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now that's a fantastic passage from Romans describing what it means to be living in the Spirit. If you are in the Spirit, you have the Spirit dwelling in you, you are alive. Period. If you do not, you're dead. I'm not talking about physical death, I'm talking about spiritual death. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simply stated. You have the Spirit. As I mentioned, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about the fact that our bodies are the temple of the Spirit. And because we have that Spirit in us, there are certain fruits that come about because of that. He said, when you receive the Spirit, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And they will become a blessing to others. And we will turn to the Lord, and He shall be a fountain of living water. But, turn over to Galatians chapter 5, and let's see what else he says about having the Spirit within us. Galatians chapter 5, and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, when we receive the Spirit, there are fruits of that Spirit that should begin to show in our lives. Now, I don't mean you're perfect. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying you, you're going to 
you know, possess every one of these fruits or show these things every minute of every day? Of course not. We're human. We're in the flesh still too. But if we have the Spirit living within us, we should start seeing these fruits abound in our lives. Plain as day right there. Not only that, we should have the aid of the Spirit to do that. Turn back to Romans 8, and let's read a little more. Romans 8, and start at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the Spirit, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You see, by receiving this promise, receiving this gift, we're going to be living and not dead. And we have the help of the Spirit to put, that, to put the death, the deeds of the body. Now, we've talked about it many times. We are tempted by many things in this world, right? This world is dark. This world is dying. It's decaying. It's running down. And as Christians, when we have the Spirit, we have to continually walk in it. We have to continually walk in that Spirit, continually renew our lives daily. Being in that Spirit means you are constantly in prayer, you are praying without ceasing, you are serving, you are looking toward Him for His guidance, and the Spirit is going to help you continue to live, continue to become more like Christ, continue to put sin away. That doesn't mean you're going to put sin away completely. As I've said, you're human. There's only one that hasn't sinned, and that's Christ. So, we have the Spirit to help us out. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Let's read a few verses from that letter. Ephesians chapter 3. And let's begin, uh, let's begin with verse 14. For this reason, I know my knee, I, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, <clears throat> we have a power, we have a strength that comes through this Spirit that God provides us through his Spirit. And we're able to not only transform our lives, move away from sin, produce fruit, but also help others around us, be a blessing to others around us through the aid of the Spirit working within us. He offers us the opportunity to be blessed through the spiritual indwelling. All right? Now, we don't necessarily know how that works, right? It's a bit of a mystery. Yes, absolutely. We can't see the Spirit. We have the Word to understand about the Spirit, but I truly believe that what we're talking about is an indwelling that we have within us. Our, our spiritual side, our soul, gets filled with the Spirit of God. Well, what about the reception? Who, who gets to receive it? I've already mentioned it's believers, given those who obey by believing in Jesus Christ. We did read that in our text today. 
We have to believe. We have to understand what he's talking about there. And faith, so faith is necessary, and also a repentance. We have to have repentance from sin, a changing of our hearts, changing of our minds to try to be more like Christ, do away with sin from our lives, get away from it, be more perfect as possible. The gift of the Spirit, as we said in Acts 2.38, is the promise to those who repent. In Acts 3.19, is to those who repent, they will experience times of refreshing. And we can understand that, right? Have there been times in your lives where you were tempted by something and perhaps having trouble or struggling to avoid it? And then you were finally able to pull through through the help of the Spirit or, or through prayer or through study or perhaps another brother or sister. Was that something that was refreshing for you? Joyous, fulfilling, perhaps saying, ah, I'm finally getting past that. Not that you can't be, shouldn't be on guard and be aware of it, but yeah, you're finally getting to a point where you think you're getting beyond that. That's a time of refreshing, time when we get past it. Turns back over to uh, <clears throat> Acts there, and I want to read uh, from Acts chapter 5 there. Let me get back over there. And this is a common scripture that we've heard many times. <clears throat> Verse 29, but, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be, uh, to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and also, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. You see, what he's saying is, the Spirit witnesses through us. We have the Spirit within us, and God gives us the ability to be examples, to be blessings to others. So it's experience to those of us who are growing, to those of us who are walking in the light and serving well, how do, we, how do we continue to do these things? How do we continue to grow in the Spirit? Is it just the Spirit does it? Or are we involved with that process too? Well, let's take a look. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. And let's read some stuff there. I know we're jumping around here, but I want you to see these verses. It's very, it's very interesting verses. And I think it helps us to understand little things. You know, studying about the Spirit can be a little daunting at times. And so we're trying to see what the scripture has to say about it. Ephesians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So what's one way... We can be filled with the Spirit. That helps us. Singing and making a million in our hearts, right? That's part of it. Hymns. When you sing, what's that do for you? You ever get a little down and you sing? Or an old, old song comes on the radio that you love and you sing and all of a sudden you start to feel a little better? And I'm not saying it's the warm fuzzies again. I'm not saying that. But that's part of it. We have song service in our worship. We sing praises to God. But that's part of it. It's filling us with the Spirit. It's building up the Spirit within our own selves, within our lives. 
So that's one way we do it. What's another way we are able to grow in the Spirit? Well, let's turn over to Romans 15 and just see what that says. <clears throat> Romans 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you, uh, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That God will fill us with a spirit and peace while we believe is part of that. He's going to do it. And in Ephesians chapter 3, we already read that God will strengthen us through the spirit and the inner man. We do this by praying and making requests of him. I mean, we can just do that, right? We just go to him. We have the opportunity as being his children, we can go right in the throne room and say, I need some spirit. I need the spirit. Fill me up. Nothing wrong with that. That's part of it. What's another way we do it? Well, Ephesians 6 says, talks about the sword of the Spirit, right? If you were raised in the church when you were little, did you ever have your, talk about your sword in your classes? Absolutely. So those of you talk, get your swords out. I know Scott used to say that a lot, get your swords out. The Word, we have the Word, sword of the Spirit, right? We got to be studying got to be in the Word. That's how we know. That's how we learn. That's how we see what he's talking about. And how many times have I expressed these same things? But here it is right here. That's how we know about the Spirit. And then lastly, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. And let's read something else here. <clears throat> chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. <clears throat> Therefore, putting away lying... Let each, of you, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, <clears throat> that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Paul says, don't grieve the Spirit. We've got to turn from sin. We have to make a conscious effort to turn from sin, repent, turn away from things that we struggle with. And that doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted. That doesn't mean you're not going to struggle at times. But the Spirit will help us to do that. Do that indwelling. What else? Turn to 1 Thessalonians real quick. And let's read a verse there. Get over there. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse six, verse, start with the verse 18. Uh, rejoice, I'm um, 16, I'm sorry. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So again, do not quench the Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit. The idea here is Paul is saying, when you turn back to sin, you're quenching the Spirit. 
simply stomping him out. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Let the Spirit work in your life. How do we do that? Through songs and hymns, through study of the Word, prayer and supplication, turning from sin. Simple things, right? Simple things to say and a little bit harder to put in practice, perhaps, right? We're human. We're of the flesh. Um, it's hard sometimes to live a Christian life. But as we continue to walk, as we continue to grow, the Spirit helps us do that. The Spirit helps us to produce that fruit, as we talk about the fruits of the Spirit. And through us, others are blessed. Through our service, through our love for each other, Scripture says they will know we are Christians by what? Our love. Those out in the world, as we go through life, who see us, our examples, should be blessed by the Spirit working and living through us. What a wonderful promise this is uh, that Jesus gives us. He's going to give the Holy Spirit to those who believe in Him, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not the miraculous gifts that we saw in the first century, not the miraculous manifestations, not necessarily just in the Word. I truly believe that we are indwelt through the Holy Spirit. We know the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The one God manifested in three different persons. Perhaps a little hard to understand that, but then again, not. I mean, we know what we're told, and we believe it, right? We don't necessarily know how the Spirit works in us. It's a mystery at times, but we can see from the Word how to gain, that, how to gain it, how to gain the Spirit, how to live, how to continue to grow through the Spirit. And we need to be doing that all the time, daily. We need to be refreshing our souls and having this living water that flows out of our hearts to refresh our souls, to refresh those around us. How sad it is if we quench the Spirit. I would encourage each and every one of you here today to take, take that to heart. Don't quench the Spirit. If you're struggling with something, if you're tempted by something, think about that a minute. Before you go into something that you don't need to be doing or, or don't need to be part of, think about that. I have the Spirit living within me, the Spirit of God. I don't want to quench you. I don't want to quench the Spirit. I don't want to grieve the Spirit. If nothing else, think of that. Put that into practice. Put that in your heart and your mind. Out of that, I think you'll be like the Samaritan woman as mentioned in your outline. Jesus said, I will give you living water. And she said, give me that water. I want it. I want a drink of it. And we should be having that same mindset every day. I want to drink that water. I want to know about that water. I want to know about that spirit. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That we can have that promise in this life. All right. Time is up. Thanks for being here.